Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi there, this is Martina Navratilova. Uh, hi, I'm Mats Wilander. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport, brought to you this week by me, Catherine Whitaker, who is in Paris for Eurosport. I'm not only in Paris, I'm at Roland Garros. I'm on Court 1, at the very top of Court 1. I'm watching Rafael Nadal and Luca Puy practice. Now, when I'd planned this location as the vista for recording our preview French Open Tennis Podcast, I thought I'd have the whole place to myself. I thought there'd be a lovely hushed silence as I watched the favourite for the title practice alongside one of the French favourites. No, this place is absolutely packed. There is not a spare seat in the whole place. Puy and Nadal have just started playing a practice match after around about half an hour of warm-up and every point, every winner is being applauded as if it were, you know, a quarter-final of the actual tournament. It's really extraordinary. Everybody just lapping up every single moment of what they're seeing out here. It's, It's pretty special actually there's that incredible buzz around Nadal that there was you know back in 2007 2008 2009 when he was at his unbeatable French Open best he's out there in a blue tank top white shorts blue trainers it's a pretty bold look he's just batted the ball away to Carlos Moyo who's in a rather more conservative sort of black t-shirt he must be absolutely roasting Carlos Moyo because it is around 35 degrees where I am here in Paris. It feels like one of the hottest days at the Australian Open. It really is an extraordinary heat wave. It's like we're being rewarded for the awful, ghastly weather we had at this tournament last year. David, you're in the sun as well, aren't you? You're, you're in the Algarve. Is it sunny out there? Well, that's the theory, Catherine. Yeah, I, I did decided to come away. I, I don't go to the the, uh, the the French Open, as as you well know. Uh, but I decided to escape the uh, the dreary weather in the UK and come to the Algarve. However, uh, it's thirty degrees in the UK right now, and it's now grey, overcast, and it looks like it's about to rain in the Algarve. So I've brought the weather with me, which is a bit oh, disappointing. I'm, so I, I, I'm sure you're having a lovely time. It I'm sounds full great. Of, the atmosphere I'm, sounds wonderful. Uh, I wish I was there. I'm full of sympathy, David. It sounds like you were at the French tell. Open 2016, frankly. I feel like yeah. I'm at, you know, that, that Wimbledon a couple of years ago when it hit about 38 degrees. I am sweating like you wouldn't believe sat up here watching this practice. It really is something extraordinary and I will as you can hear the crowd applauding it really is amazing it really feels like we're watching a sort of second round match or something how I mean I can't well Luca Puy is serving he's wearing bright orange shorts white top 
backwards baseball cap, as is his want usually. But I think Rafael Nadal seems to be getting the majority of the cheers. I feel a bit sorry for Luca Puig. I watched him practice yesterday, actually, Nadal, and he was taking on David Goffin. That was on Philippe Chatrier, which the public aren't allowed into until tomorrow when the tournament starts. So it was completely quiet and silenced and hushed, and it was like an empty amphitheatre. It was glorious. But it looked unfair. I mean, Rafael Nadal is definitely... Physically, he's as sort of big and stocky and barrel-chested as I've seen him in recent years. And poor old Davy Goffin looked like a twig at the other end of the court. It didn't look fair. And Nadal hits the ball harder in practice, as we know, than he does in matches. He, he admits to that himself. He goes for more in practice so that he knows he's got it there in his arsenal. But the ferocity with which he hits the ball in practice is is fearsome and poor David Goffin wasn't getting a whole lot of practice in he just looked like a sort of ball machine at the other end of the court facing this barrage from the beast that is Rafael Nadal at the moment I mean he is prowling around that baseline he's just taken a handful of balls from uncle tony carlos moyer at his end of the court as well tony and moyer have been having plenty of discussion but really there's they're not giving all that much input input to rafa other than yeah this looks great keep doing that and you'll probably win the title in a couple of weeks time but yeah it is it's certainly something to behold watching nadal practice and he's such a perfectionist that's what i particularly noticed yesterday on philippe chatray every shot he missed and there weren't many of them and he was boy was he going for it he was leathering the ball in a way you generally wouldn't see him do in a match situation i mean he does leather it but i mean really leathering it and if he missed by an inch he was furious with himself. Now then, David, I hope you've enjoyed uh, my detailed description of Rafael Nadal and Luca Puy's practice because that's uh, your lot for today because I've had to relocate. And uh, the, the, the reason for my relocation tells a story in itself because my iPad informed me it could no longer function due to overheating. I got an emergency message on the iPad on which I'm recording this podcast telling me it had ceased to function due to overheating. So that tells you just how hot it is and just uh, at the risk of sharing too much, much information, what a sweaty mess I and everybody else is here at Roland Garros just at the moment. But uh, in happier news, what I was just about to tell you and to celebrate before uh, <laughs> the weather and technology intervened was that... It is our fifth birthday today, David. Happy birthday to us and to the Tennis Podcast. We are five today. It is precisely five years to the day since we recorded our first podcast, which means it's about five years and one month to the day since I got the fated text from David Law saying, out of the blue, I've had an idea. Yeah, sorry everybody. I mean, that's so basically that that that's my fault that we're here at all. Uh, and uh, yeah, that that idea has led to this: three hundred episodes and five years later, and still many many more to come if we have our way. But yes, it is our fifth birthday, and uh, uh, yeah, far more important than La Decima or anything like that. Oh yeah, it's the, it's the most important thing happening in tennis at the moment. The fifth birthday of the tennis podcast. I'm now just to update you all. I'm now on a very unglamorous patch of grass. Just sitting here Nadal is still only a matter of meters from me but there is now a concrete stadium separating me from him and I'm surrounded by youngsters I've never felt so old and so sweaty simultaneously because it's kids day and they've got so much planned on the center court they really do 
do a great job here of Kids Day. There's a there's a DJ. They get all the top players involved. So many of the players are so good about these things. They really give up their time, and that's that's what's happening today. We have we don't have an order of play for Sunday yet, but we do have a list of which matches will be taking place tomorrow. No Nadal, no Djokovic, no uh, well, who could be having no Muguruza tomorrow. There is Kerber in action on Sunday. She's the biggest name on the women's side, and Venus Williams as well, and. Petra Kvitova will play tennis on the Grand Slam stage tomorrow, David. And I I just got into the press conference room for the very last few minutes of her press conference and the glow, the radiance coming off her. I've never seen somebody emit so much joy. I mean, it was completely infectious and it's just the most wonderful good news story to see her again. Look, she's not back to full fitness she's been very honest about the fact that she's not able to hit the ball yet with the power that she could before but she's been informed by her doctors that she's doing herself no further damage by starting to play again and all that can happen is improvement she just needs to get out there she needs to try and she will only get better so look she's not going to win the title this fortnight but it will all be building blocks hopefully for her to get back to somewhere near where she was before and just seeing her here is food for the soul really well i'll put it this way Catherine. i got goosebumps when you said the words petra kvitova will play tennis that i mean that that's all that matters isn't it the fact that she's okay that she can play again we you know we've seen so much horror in the world recently obviously just after we recorded last week's podcast that the awful uh, events in Manchester took place and, and and it was a horrible thing that happened to Petra Kvitova at the end of last year that knife attack and, and to, the, the fact of her playing tennis this year is staggering to me I think it shows incredible strength I think it's staggering to her as well David I think it's yeah. staggering to her, she never expected this, I think her surgeon is probably putting up his fees quite significantly because boy did he do a good job she says she, she feels no pain at all, no pain at all when she plays tennis which is it's staggering absolutely staggering so she will play uh, on Sunday Tamir Bashinsky as well Venus Williams on the men's side uh, the biggest names are Dominic Team, Grigor Dimitrov and of course Dan Evans David hey. <laughs> will play tomorrow Dan Evans who I spoke to yesterday uh, for Eurosport along with the other members of the British press and um He's not always the most comfortable uh, or or uh, giving TV interviewee, but I don't think he'd mind me saying, and frankly, if you tune into Eurosport, you'll see the interview and you can make your own minds up, but um, he wasn't in talkative or positive mood yesterday is uh, how I would sum up that interview. I was trying to sort of jolly him along and say come on Dan you might have drawn Tommy Robredo in round one but you know you're ranked 216 places above this guy and surely I know you don't like clay Dan but on your day surely you've got to believe that you can beat anyone who just sort of went no not on clay (laughs) not not here not here so you know Nice Anything try. can happen on a tennis court, but I don't think Dan Evans will be walking on to whatever court he's on tomorrow believing that he can beat Tommy Robredo, which is a shame. Which is a shame because, you know, I don't know. Robredo's the favourite, but what? One in one in 50 times? Yeah, Dan had, know, Dan had win you? that? He, he almost beat you him at the US know. Open. Hey, what, what, how was Andy Murray's mood? 
Now then, Andy Murray's mood was actually fine in press. I had gone out to watch his practice a little bit earlier on the Suzanne Longland Court, the second biggest court here. He's out there with Lendl and with Jamie Delgado. I watched around 40 minutes of that. It was as much as I could bear before sunburn and sweating kicked in. Um, and... Uh, Look, I know Andy Murray is prone to histrionics, both on the practice court and on the match court. I know that, and and I I know you you're on the same page here that people read far too much into practices. It's so easy to go, oh, striking the ball brilliantly in practice, and or you know not looking happy in practice. I do fully agree that people read too much into practices, and I I, I tweeted from the practice to say I was pretty horrified basically at Andy Murray's level his body language he's obviously suffering with illness that news broke yesterday morning that he's been taking antibiotics and I really wouldn't have said anything if it wasn't above and beyond anything that I would have expected to see from Andy Murray he really it was almost like his body looked sort of limp like it was made of jelly you know sometimes when you have the flu or something and you feel really weak and it's almost jelly-like and he had the yips on serve he was playing Pablo Cuevas poor Pablo Cuevas was standing to receive for about <laughs> I don't know he's waiting well, it seemed like he was waiting an age for the serve because Murray kept stepping up to the service line setting himself bouncing the ball and then resetting himself and resetting himself and and that's unusual to see his body language with Lendl and Delgado wasn't good he walked off the court without even acknowledging them, left them on the court. They were stood there having quite an intense discussion for quite some time after Murray had left the court. He was throwing his racket and he wasn't even throwing his racket in sort of a a feisty way. It was in a sort of limp, defeated kind of a way. And yeah, it it was the worst I've seen from Andy Murray on a practice court. And that's that's why I, I... felt to mention it and uh, and I he, he was pretty good when he came into press he was pretty frank and open and self-aware as he usually is he said look I'm struggling I've got to try and accept that struggle and enjoy it I've got to try and play through the struggle crucially lots of people were asking him why he hasn't taken more time off why he hasn't considered taking more holidays and he said look I've because I've been losing I've barely played any matches recently when you lose when you lose first round of Rome, you don't go and take a week's holiday. He said, you know, you get out on the practice court for three hours a day and lots of people suggesting he looks exhausted. He says he doesn't feel exhausted. We have to take him at face value, don't we? It, 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 we have to take what he says on face value and I, I certainly don't get any feeling that he's lying at all. I really think he's being honest about how he feels his situation is. What... The one question mark I do have in my mind is whether sometimes when you're in something, when you're in a funk, when you're exhausted, when you're in a struggle, you don't quite realise you are or you don't quite realise how bad it is. You can't see the wood for the trees sometimes. And look, I don't know if that's the case with Andy Murray, but it certainly could be the case. And I, I actually, I then did a few questions with him exclusively for Eurosport after the press conference. And I referenced... That. I referenced the fact that I'd been out and watched in practice and I, you know, I, I, I finessed it, but I didn't say, God, that was awful, Andy. Um, I said, I said, you know, you didn't necessarily, you know, reports in the papers this morning, you're not physically 100% and you didn't look 100% comfortable on the practice court earlier. And he said, oh, I thought that practice was fine. <laughs> he said, he said, I'm sorry you didn't enjoy it, <laughs> but I thought it was fine. 
Um, it, not in a particularly chippy way. He was very good-natured about it. But, I mean, as I say, I take it at face value, but man alive, if that's what constitutes a good practice at the moment, I, I don't know... I don't know what to make of the situation, David. What do you make of well, it? Well, I mean, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? The one thing I do recall is at the Oto Arena, I think it was a couple of years ago, when he was just coming towards really the, the, the end of his time together with, with Jonas Bjorkman, actually. I think it was the final tournament that Jonas Bjorkman was part of the team. And I remember them having a conference on the, pra- on the court, on the centre court at the O2 after a practice session, it felt a bit like what you're describing. You know, he was out of sorts. He'd obviously had that heavy defeat to, to Federer at the O2. He'd won all those matches just to get there, but it wasn't the real Andy Murray. This wasn't the Andy Murray we knew. And they were they were standing around, all of them in a group, and it got it seemed to me that they were just trying to work it out. Where is the form? Why aren't I playing the way I can play? And and that's that's what's happening at the moment. There's a search. For, 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 for the real Andy Murray at the moment and, and I'm sure he'll, he'll be back but and I, I think we talked about it last week it's going to take something for him to get his teeth into to win a match out of nowhere to have an epic and, and to feel like himself again but, but, but this isn't real Andy Murray at the moment yeah, I'd agree with that. And look, he said the same. He said, look, I am sure, I am sure I will find it again. Whatever it is I'm looking for, whatever it takes to get me back to where I should be, I will find it. He's just said, I've no idea when. He said, I desperately hope I find it this week. He's obviously hoping he finds it against Andre Kuznetsov in round one. But he said, if I don't find it here, I'll try and find it on the grass. I'll just keep trying to find it. And obviously he was fired questions about whether it's been tough for him not having Lendl around. Of course, Lendl hasn't been there for any of the Master Series events he's played since uh, the Australian Open. And he said, look, Lendl wasn't around at the end of last year after the US Open. He didn't see Lendl until the O2. And as he very rightly points out, he played pretty damn well during that period. You know, that was when he made it to world number one and barely lost a match. So, in fact, didn't lose a match. So, look, he's absolutely right to point that out. Who knows what's going on, but... It is not the real Andy Murray. He is struggling. He recognises that. It's going to be very interesting to see whether he comes through that struggle here in Paris. His draw his draw could have been a heck of a lot worse, frankly. He's in Vavrinka's half. He's avoided Nadal and Djokovic. If he were to make it to the latter stages, he wouldn't face either of those two until the final. As I say, Andrei Kuznetsov in the first round, who isn't going to roll over, I don't think. He was a semi-finalist in Geneva so he's coming here on a bit of four matches under his belt it's Del Potro lurking in round three that could be difficult but Del Potro himself has said a couple of days ago he's only 50-50 to even play the tournament so we don't think he's at full force at full fitness he has Guido Pella in round one which is no easy match if you're not feeling 100% so who knows for Andy Murray? You do feel like if he can make through make it through his first few matches, he will become a force to be reckoned with. But you also feel that he's vulnerable early on. Sasha Zverev and uh, Thomas Burdick are in his quarter of the draw, but that feels a long way off at the moment. And it's Stan Wawrinka, Fabio Fanini, Marin Cilic, David Ferrer, Nick Kyrgios in uh, the other quarter of his half. So... Very interesting to see what's going to happen with Andy Murray. In terms of world number twos, or certainly world number twos on the men's side, we've had Novak Djokovic rock up here with Andre Agassi in tow. And boy, has it been cracking for the media to be 
a part of that to witness their practices together. He's so hands-on, Andre Agassi. I watched their practice together yesterday. Yeah, I mean, he's having input into everything. He's he's telling him how to hit his backhand. I mean, <laughs> coaches don't generally do that. I mean, Ivan Lendl isn't telling Andy Murray how to hit his backhand. Usually it's sort of tactical, it's mental, it's maybe the odd minor technical thing here and there, but Agassi is stuck in there. You know, they played a practice point and... Uh, Djokovic actually did end up winning the point, but he played a slice when he could have played a more aggressive shot. And Agassi came over and he said, no, that was the wrong call there. You shouldn't have played that slice. You should have been aggressive. You should have played an aggressive backhand, not a slice. You know, he's he is getting stuck in, David. He really is. He's not doing this by halves. Well, it's, it's one of the things that I always remember about Agassi that, that he used to say. I remember him playing Nicholas Lepenti at the, the ATP finals back in the late 90s, and, and, and Lepenti was slicing a few forehands. And Agassi said, if anybody has the gall to slice a forehand to me, they are going to pay. And what he was saying <laughs> is that if you put a half-court ball or anything remotely not attacking my way, I am going to take it to you. And I, I, I sense that he... He will be impressing on Djokovic that, that he doesn't, as you said, that he doesn't want to have any rallying unnecessarily, that he wants him to, to, he's got the racket skills, he's got the ability to take it early. I think we'll see him take it earlier, Agassi style, yeah. probably. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think nail on the head there. That seems to be exactly what he's trying to drill in to know about Djokovic. And exactly as you predicted, David, Djokovic looks to have the zest back. He looks excited about being on the practice court. We've seen him posting all sorts of videos yesterday. Uh, he posted a video of uh, a drill that he was doing with Andre Agassi where Djokovic is at one end of the court and then Agassi and another hitter. So he's, it's one against two, essentially. And you can imagine how much running around that involves. And then Darren Cahill, of course, former coach of under Agassi commented on that and said that he used to do that drill with Agassi and Agassi hated it and now the tables have turned and he's making his charge do that drill incidentally Darren Cahill was out with Agassi for uh, no other way around Agassi was out with Darren Cahill watching Simona Hallett practice a couple of days ago I didn't see it I saw it on Twitter um, really interesting you know I, I mean yeah, Darren Cahill suddenly, obviously he's got plenty to say about Simona Hallett, but getting his views on under Agassi as a coach would be fascinating as well. So I'm sure I and Eurosport will be uh, tracking down that interview as as we do over the course of uh, over the course of these couple of weeks. We seem to spend most of our time just sort of stalking people and begging them for interviews, but it pays off in the end, doesn't it, David? So in terms of the draw, Novak Djokovic, apart from the fact that he's in... Uh, Rafael Nadal's half. Apart from that, it's not looking too bad early on for Djokovic. Granoya's first round, then Zhao Souza or Yanko tips Saravich, then potentially Misha Zverev in round three. That's all fine, I think. Then it gets potentially more difficult. Potentially Ramos Vinolas or Luca Pui in round four, and then you get into the territory of potentially Dominic Thiem or David Goffin, and then, of course, probably Rafael Nadal in the semi final. So a good start. But things getting very much more difficult very, very quickly for Djokovic. Yeah, I, I do feel that Djokovic has had a rough end of it personally because of the, the, the people that are, are, are banked up in the latter stages of the tournament. I'd expect him to be getting to the second week no matter what. But, you know, Luca Pui, on it, if he were to play well, could, could hurt people. Um, I, I do feel like 
David Goffin particularly can go toe-to-toe to some extent with Djokovic. I don't think over the best of five he would beat him, though. I, I've actually done my, my predictions, Catherine, already. I, I, because it's raining here in, where, in sunny Algarve and I'm sitting here with nothing to do, I've actually done my yeah, predictions. Yeah, I'm too busy applying sunscreen for predictions, David. Yeah, uh, and uh, I, I've, I've sort of... We're, we're taking on all those people who backed us to the hilt in our Kickstarter campaign and uh, the predictions competition goes on amongst us, whatever, 13, 14 people of us who are, who are doing that. It, I, I have got... Yeah, do you all want to these know? people that are making us look bad, David. It was, it yeah. was a really bad idea, wasn't it? Was it? Let's invite idea. a load of people to make us, our predictions look even worse. And we, we still continue, so that's just the way it is. Um, do, do you want to know who I've got in the men's quarters? Yes, please. Yeah, I, I ha- I've got at the top half, Isner versus... Uh, Alexander Zverev so Andy you don't Murray think Murray's getting it. to the quarters no, then he doesn't make it I've got Stan- who's he losing to who's he losing know. to in he, there he could lose to Del Potra I think I think he I I think he would could lose to yeah I definitely think he could lose to Del Potro anyway I, I think he could lose to to Isner as well uh, or you know I, I don't see him going deep personally uh, in this tournament uh, then I've got Vavrinka against Songa. I've got Karina Buster against Nadal. And then I've got Goffan beating team to set up Pekorda against Djokovic. And then my semis are Zverev, Vavrinka, Nadal, Djokovic, with a final of Vavrinka, Nadal, and a champion of Nadal. To be clear, that's Sasha Zverev, Alexander Zverev, sorry, rather than Misha slash Michael Zverev, yeah? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and then, uh, do you want to know I've got in the women's? Well, we'll do women's in a minute, David. I was just going to pick out a few sort of juicy first rounders for us to keep an eye on. Is that all right? Go for it. I'll I'll allow that. Well, just the ones that drew my eye, Zverev Vadasco. Sasha Zverev against yeah. Fernando Vadasco is around one. I mean, come on. I know, and, and although I've got, I have got Zverev in the quarterfinals just simply on balance. I, I do feel that Vadasco is capable of pulling that up, pulling that upset really, because I mean, you know, he's he's such a natural on the clay with that lefty lasso like he, abs- he absolutely is. Yeah, I mean, look, I think there's a good chance Zverev could make the quarters as well. I do draw your attention to the fact that Pablo Cuevas is in his section and he is playing some really solid difficult to beat ten- I mean he is going to take some beating uh, of course there are plenty of players in this draw that will beat him most of the time if they play their best tennis Cuevas's best is not as good as Zverev's best but he will take a lot of beating if you're not 100% then uh, Cuevas is going to make your life very difficult indeed uh, other interesting ones Kyrgios has drawn Philip Kohlschreib around one that's not great is it? No, I mean, I don't expect a huge amount from Kyrgios. I just think physically he's not, not quite right at the moment. I think he he probably needs a bit more time and hopefully, if he's fully fit, see the best of him on the grass. Fanini TFO, that's an interesting one, I think. TFO, lots of eyes on him. I think he's third in the race to Milan. I saw, lo- I saw lots of people uh, queuing up to interview him yesterday. He's somebody that everybody desperately wants to break through as one of the next gen because he's such a great story, such a nice chap, such an interesting way of playing tennis. But that's a tricky draw for him if he is going to make his breakthrough on this particular stage. But hey, Fanini, who knows what Fanini will show up? He's just had a baby, his head could be elsewhere. You just don't know. Dan Evans, Tommy Robredo, I think we've already uh, covered that one. Grigor Dimitrov 
has uh, Stefan Robert, the veteran Frenchman, in round one. I think that could be interesting. Robert loves a marathon, doesn't he? And the winner of that one would take on the winner of uh, Robredo Evans, which I think we've established is very likely to be Tommy Robredo. Aliash Bidene. Uh, has Ryan Harrison in round one. I like the look of... Um, I'm pleased to see Alex Deminauer, the uh, Wimbledon junior runner-up from last year, the Australian. I saw a bit of him against Sam Querrey in uh, round two in uh, Australia earlier this year, and I was very impressed with what I saw. He's been given a wild card, takes on uh, Robin Harser in round one. Team has drawn Tomic, but Tomic obviously having a horrendous year. Uh, pass. What do you know about uh, Stefano Sitsipas? Absolutely nothing. David. Well, this time last year, he was the junior world number one. He was the number one seed here in the juniors. He's qualified here. He's Greek. He's good. Excellent. Looking forward to seeing him. <laughs> yeah, well, he's drawn Ivo Karlovic in round one, though, so we might not be seeing much of him. But uh, I, I like the look of him. I think he's won. I, I would just keep an eye on him for future. It, it, you know, just... Just tipping you off there, David. Noted. And then uh, Luc- Luca Puy has drawn uh, fellow Frenchman Julian Beneteau. David Goffin has Paul-Henri Mathieu, who's qualified as well. Good on him. There are, ju- I mean, there, there are so many Frenchmen in this draw. It always, I mean, I know it's every year. We know about the depth that French tennis has, but I'm still always staggered by the Frenchmen in the draw. And, of course, one of them, Benoit Paire, has drawn the short straw. Boy, has he been punished for falling out of the seeded places because he's got Rafael Nadal round one. Yeah, it's it's tough, isn't it? But you're right about that depth. And uh, it still is surprising, though, that they don't end up getting one of the top three or four. You know, that it, that it still isn't happening for them. Because, I mean, Songa is still somewhere away. Pui feels like he may still end up being a top ten player without ever getting top five. I don't know, maybe that will end up being wrong. Um, same with Monfils. Yeah, absolutely. OK, then, David, the floodgates are open. Let's talk about... The women's. What, what what was it that you were wanting to say that I cut you off from saying earlier? Well, was pick, it by I any chance about the fact that Garbina Muguruza has got Francesca Schiavoni in well, round one? It wasn't. Because but that, that, that is interesting. That is interesting, isn't it? Uh, I mean, Garbina Muguruza. Last time I saw her, I was, I was commenting uh, for BT Sport on how she was leaving the courts with a neck injury, four-one down, having had to retire uh, against Alina Svitolina. So we don't know. If, for sure how she's doing physically uh, I suspect she Well will. I went to her press conference yesterday David and she said the next okay, she says she won't know whether it's absolutely 100% okay until she's out there on, on the match court but she says she feels like she's recovered from it and it's okay. I was more just a bit disconcerted by the demeanour of Garbina Muguruza she seemed just a bit kind of detached do you know what I mean just a bit kind of yeah it's nice to be back it would be nice to win again but I'm not I didn't see fire in the belly from her that's what I didn't see and I could be completely misinterpreting that I don't know her inside out she could be a fantastic actress she could be you know just wanting to limit expectation and pressure on her shoulders but I saw somebody that's pleased to be back here you know he's got really happy memories she's gonna give it her best but if it doesn't happen this year she won't be that gutted and maybe that's because she's got no right to expect anything because of how her form's been but I don't know I wanted to see a bit more 
fire in the eyes, you know, a bit more, this is my title and I'm going to defend it for my life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I, 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 I saw a lot of that at the start of the year, real intensity, more than I'd seen last year, which is what led me to, to say that this is the woman I think will end up finishing the year number one and winning slams again because I thought you add her natural physicality and ability to that, that sort of intensity and I think that's a winning combination. But as it's happened, she seems to have... I mean, she's had some injury problems, but she seems to have almost just got in her own way at times. And, and I wonder whether that, that body language is an attempt to, to just decompress a little bit and, and detach herself. That, that's all I can think of it as, as a reason for, for coming in like that. Well, she is in the top half of the draw. As I say, she plays Francesca Schiavone, of course, former champion here in round one. And that's... Is that much more than a 50-50, David? Yeah, I, I, I'd certainly pick uh, Gabriela Muguruza to be to be winning that one. I, I think she's going to end up going to. I've got it down to, to reach the semi-finals actually, and, and beat Venus Williams in the quarters, and and uh, play against Kuznetsova actually in the semis, uh, Muguruza. But I, but I've got Kuznetsova going all the way personally, having looked at that draw. Yeah, so so that half of the draw, of course, Angelique Kerber, the world number one, sits atop it and in her quarter is Svetlana Kuznetsova, Kiki Burton's also in there, Sam Stozer in there, Petra Kvitova, who, as we said, is wonderful to see, but we're not expecting her necessarily to go deep. Caroline Wozniacki's in there. I don't think this is a great draw for Angelique Kerber. She's got Katerina Makarova at round one, and yes, if she comes through that, she might have a an easier ride in rounds two and three, but after that, it's not looking pretty. No, no, I, I, I'd share that view for sure. It's, uh, it's, it's. I don't think I've ever seen a world number one with as few expectations of her actually doing anything successful in a tournament. I mean, and she may well end up proving us wrong. She may end up having a good run, but it's, uh, it doesn't look too good. There's no form whatsoever, and actually, she hasn't done a whole lot at the French Open in the past either. No, I mean, yeah, zero expectations. She lost, of course, to Kiki Burton's in round one last year. I think everybody here is delighted that Kiki Burton's is now seeded because what a nightmare draw that was for anybody to get her on clay uh, in round one because she can play on this surface. And she's drawn uh, Ilya Tomljanovic uh, in round one, of course, girlfriend of Nick Kyrgios. Down in the other quarter, the bottom quarter of the top half, if that makes any sense to you at all. As as you said, David, Garbina Magrutha is there if she comes through against Skivoni, the next big challenge for her probably would be Kiki Mladenovic potentially in uh, the round of uh, 16 I think that would be a tough prospect and down in the bottom section of that half Venus Williams uh, Tamer Bashinsky and Dominika Sibylkova looking at the bottom half of the draw David boy is it open okay so Simona Halep is in there she is in the top half of the, the, the top quarter of the bottom half, the third quarter, if you will. Now, she said two days ago that she is only 50-50 to play the tournament here as a result of the ankle turn that she experienced in the final in Rome last week. Now, I watched her practice yesterday with Darren Cahill. Interestingly, she had both ankles taped up. One of them was more heavily taped than the other but they were certainly both taped up now I didn't see her do a huge amount of sliding so it's possibly possible she was being a bit cautious and not fully testing it it, to its extremities but she looked okay to me she didn't look like somebody that's gonna pull out 
ahead of the tournament. She certainly looked like she could play. Now, whether that means she can win the tournament, you know, it's unlikely you can win this tournament with any kind of injury going on unless you're Serena Williams. But everybody was very alarmed a couple of days ago and she said she was only 50-50. I think the alarm has dampened down now. Yeah, I I mean, I, I... Having looked at the draw and having seen that incident at the time and then the quotes afterwards, I, I thought she would struggle to play in the tournament. But as you say, she's she's hung around and it's about getting that confidence back in the, the, the ankle again because so, she's going to need to slide. Her movement is everything. I've got her in the quarters uh, playing against Svitolina. I think the result will end up being the same and Svitolina will come through. I've actually got uh, Joe Conter in the quarters, which I'm amazed given the lack of form she's had. But I just couldn't it's a good think draw of, though, isn't it? Finally, yeah, she's got a good draw. I couldn't think of too many Suwe people say that, that would Chinese Taipei round one, potentially Taylor Townsend round two, Christina Pliskova is in there, Caroline Garcia round three. She plays horribly here usually Agnieszka Radvanska would be her potential fourth round opponent and she's on a horrible run of form and down in the bottom half uh, of that section it's Pavlyuchenkova, Vandaway, Pliskova there's nobody there that I don't think Conte can beat on a good day even on clay and actually I, I spoke to Conte yesterday did a really nice interview with her she seems so relaxed and just okay she's not had the best form on clay this season but she actually said she likes playing on clay she doesn't know where this sort of analysis has come from that she it's not her preferred surface so she says okay I wouldn't necessarily say I adore playing on clay but she says she's got no issue with it at all she sees no reason why she can't have good results she says she walks onto the court with a really positive mentality on this surface and she she believes that with a with a fair wind behind her there's no reason why she can't do some damage and I think this draw might just be the fair wind that she needs yeah, well, I, I, I share that view in, in that she's she's in my quarters. She's going to play Pavlichenkova there. I think Pavlichenkova would win that. And I've got, ultimately, a Kuznetsova Svitolina final with Kuznetsova as the champion. There you are. Have you? Yeah. Know, that's quite... A, I mean, first. I say that's a bold prediction, but what isn't a bold prediction? And what is a bold prediction in the women's event this year? I mean, just don't know. I suppose picking... Ha- I mean... This time last week, picking Halep to win would have been the uh, the easy route. But then that seems all to have changed as a result of the Rome final and now the injury. So uh, the one clear favourite that there was has now sort of taken a s- step back from the front line of favourites. And now it's just this melee of excellent players, any of whom could, could be susceptible to losing early or could go on and win the title. I think it's going to be a truly fascinating fortnight David. I know, for me that really makes it I, I'm really excited about seeing the, the women's draw in some ways more than the men's draw because it's just, there's going to be so much intrigue every match will have a lot on it because you feel as though it's it's possible for anybody have you got any other business David any other matches you'd like to draw us attention to our attention to any other outrageous predictions any other things to say any update on the miserable weather in the Algarve I don't think so, Catherine. I just want the French Open to start now. I'm excited. Well, it, I, I mean, it, sitting here on this tiny patch of grass, thankfully, mercifully, in the shade. I mean, there are people walking around topless. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, sitting here, it feels, like, it feels like it has already started. It is absolutely packed, and it's really joyful, jubilant atmosphere. Kids everywhere just buzzing with excitement i mean it's it's an atmosphere that you wish you could 
bottle and capture and, and open on a miserable November day in London because, yeah, the, the eve of a Grand Slam, particularly when the sun is out, is a very, very special thing and I feel very lucky to be here covering it for Eurosport I have got a piece of cake David I will actually it's not I couldn't quite they're not quite into sort of cake as we know it in France they're a bit too sophisticated for that so I've ended up with a slice of tarte aux pommes apple apple tart to uh, to you and I to celebrate our fifth anniversary but it just feels a bit hot to be eating cake I'd envisaged myself you know eating cake while podcasting in celebration of our fifth anniversary but in the end I just yeah I just, I mean the cake might not even be constitutionally the same thing it was an hour ago it might have just melted into you should come here and eat it Catherine it's uh, it's nice and cool here and it's raining well are you going to get yourself some cake in celebration yeah oh yeah I've already had some actually yeah and I had it for breakfast so no 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 cake for me perhaps a little bit of tart or pom later but cake for David I'm pleased there's something to alleviate the pain of being in not so sunny Portugal as I wrap up this podcast Luca Pui has just walked past me absolutely drenched in sweat he's stopping to sign all the autographs good lad he is he's being absolutely plagued by kids and adults he's signing them all they're trying not to go too near him because he looks like he might have a bit of a stench I mean he's been out there a good two hours on court number one thrashing around out there with Rafa Nadal in as I said truly ferocious form I'm sure Nadal will come walking past me any minute now flanked by security guards no doubt I mean as as I said at the top of the pod the the buzz around him is is amazing it really is it's the buzz of a guy that very well could be on the verge of doing something incredibly special in tennis something that may very well not ever be repeated and I know we're guilty of hyperbole and it hasn't happened yet and all the rest of it but 10 David 10 would be mind-boggling but anyway it hasn't happened yet so we'll leave that discussion potentially for another day and without further ado we will leave you with the dulcet tones of Tim Hemman who uh, our good friend Charlie Eccleshare who from the Telegraph has been catching up with as part of Tim's role as an ambassador for Slazenger the racket and ball manufacturer now Tim you don't necessarily associate him with this tournament Roland Garros and the clay but he's somebody that learned to play on this surface learned kind of maybe not quite to love it but learn to like it learn to adapt his game to it and and actually I I put that to Dan Evans yesterday when he was saying he hated the clay and he thinks he has zero chance against Tommy Robredo I said but come on look at look at Tim you know he was a set and a break up against Guillermo Correa in the semi-final in 2004 he almost he almost won this tournament and he at the start of his career had the same attitude as you Dan and Dan wasn't having any of it, David. He wasn't in the mood for my positivity. But he could do a lot worse than having a chat with Tim Hemman about learning to play on clay, which is exactly what Charlie Eccleshire has done. But first and foremost, before that, of course, he had to ask him about the new coaching pairing, the story on everyone's lips. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. On everyone's minds here at the French Open at the moment, Novak Djokovic and Andre Agassi. I mean, I was, you know, massively surprised. Um, I didn't think it was something that that Andre would first and foremost want to do with, you know, his family. And it, and you know, I, it'd be interesting to see the commitment. You know, mm. how many weeks he does. Um, you know, will he be at, you know, will he be at Wimbledon? Will he be at several tournaments through? Um, on the hard going through US Open so I think we should slightly reserve judgement but you know good for Djokovic I think uh, um, I I, I sort of salute him for it's a big call to get rid of the whole team and and start afresh Um, I I personally felt that thought that he might hang on to his his sort of physio because you know they know your body and that takes a long time to I mean, I, you know, I think most people involved in tennis would know Djokovic's game, his strengths and weaknesses. That's not too difficult to pick up. But from a physio point of view, um, that sounded like a pretty big call to me. But, you know, um, Agassi was always a, a student of the game. Mm. He was always, um, you know, very thoughtful and um, had a great understanding of the game, um, both, you know, mentally and tactically. So... Uh, I think any time you can get someone of his um, experience in your corner, then it can only be a good thing. So I think we'll all be interested mm. to see how that unfolds. What about you? Are you tempted? Next no. super coach? No, <laughs> no, not for me. No, I, and, and it's purely the travel. You know, yeah. with my my family at the age they are, and my wife and three kids, I don't have any you know desire to be back on the road and yeah. travelling to tournaments. Um, and what about Andy Murray at the moment? Are you? And everyone's trying to work out, you know, what it is. Is is it just a lull? Does that happen? No, it's just it's you, you know you, you just have to reflect on a um, and the year that he had last year was just the way he finished was incredible and and then with no real time off probably had ten days off and then straight into a training block. Um, you know, I think in hindsight probably pushed it too hard too quickly and then you know shingles. I had shingles when I was playing, and it's, it's very debilitating. Yeah, exactly. I feel that hasn't. Yeah. There hasn't been enough made of that. Well, exactly. I mean, I think yeah, I think he knows. Um, but when people are looking for answers, I don't know why they don't yeah. immediately jump to that conclusion because it is. It's a virus that's obviously lies dormant in your body mm. um, and it's really sort of knocked him sideways. And then, you know, do you sort of link the elbow problem with that? Um, mm. I think quite possibly. So, you know, he, he hasn't been healthy. I don't think we should judge his game until he's had a period of time when he can play some tournaments where he's had, you know, good preparation um, because he's just been chasing his tail and, and he hasn't built up any momentum he hasn't really had 
any um, consistent match play. Um, so again, you know, I, I'm I'm sort of disappointed for him because it's just very frustrating yeah. when when you can't play. But sort of concern, no. I mean, he's uh, you know you don't you don't become a bad player overnight, and and um, you know what he achieved last year was was phenomenal. So um, he just needs uh, a bit of time to be healthy and. And then when he does that, he, um, you know, his performances will come. He's another one actually as well who hadn't had a huge amount of clay court success. And then, I mean, he and he's so consistent that he was always getting yeah. quarter semis. But then last year, obviously, getting to the final, mm. you know, he was starting winning masters. Yeah. You, did, did you notice a change in his game? Was he stepping yeah, I mean, forward? Yeah. I mean, again, again just yeah, very small margins. I mean, that, and and again, this is the reality. Um, when you've got someone like Rafa who is so dominant, you know, there are very few other tournaments for other players to win mm. and when you look at Andy's schedule he was going to play Monte Carlo Madrid Rome and then the French if he only plays four tournaments three of them Masters Series and Slam mm. pretty difficult to win those um, so likewise I think the way that he played last year was a continuation of the improvement um, you know more aggressive looking to be um, a little bit more proactive from the back of the court on second serve mm. um, but still you know incredibly consistent which is always going to be um you know the cornerstones of clay court tennis. Um, so yeah, and there's no doubt that he can play incredibly well on on clay. It could still happen this year at the French, but again, he just needs needs a bit of time. And another <coughs> thing, this is slightly left field. We're doing a piece about Roland Garros and how it's kind of been left behind by the other three as a site. You know, it's a lot smaller. It was a lot more cramped last year. Mm-hmm. There was. You know, it was raining constantly. Mm. Do you have any memories of it being of being in particularly cramped conditions or anything? It's hard. Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult. Um, you know, you make the comparison here. Um, this site's forty three acres. I think Roland Garros is about twenty two, twenty three mm. acres. So it's almost sort of half the size. Yeah. Um, and it, and again, all all the problems are accentuated when it rains mm. because everybody has to come inside and and. Uh, um, you look at that from a practice point of view early on in the tournament you know it's difficult you, you can't really practice on site that's a very difficult challenge for them to, to overcome they're looking to expand and you know go into the botanical gardens they're looking at you know the roof on, on Chatrier and I'm sure those will be great improvements but um, yeah it's, it's, it's difficult and, and you know we focus a lot on our weather here um, we've got a roof we're about to have two roofs and we've got a lot more space but you know the weather historically isn't always better in Paris no. so it's it is difficult. That will always be um, that will always be a, a big, big challenge for them. But it's still, you know, it's still a great tournament. Um, I've always, you know, great memories of, of playing there and, and also watching other great matches there. I'm just picturing you and a bunch of others like huddled in a. In it's <laughs> difficult. Yeah, I mean that's but that's the same in yeah, any tournament. Yeah. You know, early on, if you're at a slam, there's there's a lot of players in yeah. the first week because. You know, not enough players have lost and gone home. Yeah, and, yeah. But that's the same in smaller sites, in smaller tournaments, whether it's Queens or um, Sydney or yeah. wherever you may be playing. Um, there's inclement weather and all the spectators, all the players are inside, then it's, it's difficult. But, yeah. um, you know, indoor tournaments where that's, that's different, obviously. Yeah, of course. And obviously, being here, it's, uh, you may think it's been a pretty busy week for. Or a couple of weeks for the All England Club, and one way or another, what with the Sharapova wild yeah. card, has that been something you've been involved in? Is you know the, the discussions around it? Did it ever reach that point? Well, not really. I mean, uh, it was a, que- a question as um, as is the case with Wimbledon. Um, you know, there are kind of dates in the diary of, of when um, we had those meetings. I chair 
tennis subcommittee, so that is that is wild cards. Um, but again, we wanted to wait and wait until we had all the information in front of us. So, 20th of June was when that meeting was, and, and as it is, you know, Sharapova has taken the decision to, to play qualifying, and, and um, you know, good for her. I think uh, <clears throat> she's she's a great player on grass, and she'll fancy her chances of of coming through and, and not having to require the help of um, of anybody else. And you know, as I said earlier on. You, you, as an individual athlete, you want to you want to take care of the things that you can control your preparation and performance, and you know we'll see how she goes there. Do you think she realised that she just wasn't going to get a major wild card? You'd have to ask her. <laughs> Would you have been in favour? We didn't have to get to that. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the, especially at this moment in time, that's the party line. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any not going to benefit anyone by saying anything else at this stage. Maybe further down the line, and then <clears throat> qualifying as well. Now it's kind of taken a life of its own. Yeah. How much of Shara- how much of that decision to make it ticketed and paid for was? Yeah, I mean, it's Shara- it's one of those things, and I can say absolutely hand on heart. Um, it looks, you know, as Richard Lewis and, and Philip Brooks said in the prize money um, press conference, it looks very convenient that you know, oh, this is the year that's ticketed, and now Sharapova's ended up in qualies. That conversation has been going for for a good couple of years and, and you know you can take it or leave it you can believe us or not but that's absolutely hand on heart what has been has been taking place and, and the way that that has evolved um, it needed to it needed to um, it needed to be ticketed and, and now you know obviously coinciding with Sharapova mm-hmm. going to be playing there it does look very convenient but um, it needs to be and, and to me you know the, the qualifying is the weakest element of the championships we're the only we're the only championship that doesn't have qualifying on site. We can't have it on site because of the courts would mm-hmm. be sort of worn out before. But when you you know start thinking about a bigger picture of the master plan and you know on on the golf course further down the line to have you know qualifying there sort of overlooking the championships would be ideal. And, mm. um, you know I think it's pretty clear that would be the long term goal. And who's going to win Wimbledon? That is a good question. <laughs> uh, I mean, on the men's side right now. Is Federer the favourite? I mean, your guess is as good as yeah. mine. Um, I, I said, la- I mean, I said last year I didn't think he could win another Slam outside of Wimbledon. Um, what he did in Australia was was incredible. Um, I wrote a piece headlined "Why Federer Will Never Win Another Slam" about a year ago. Yeah. Which is, uh, <laughs> his fans <laughs> have know, been reminding me yeah, of that. Yeah. Um, has he got a chance? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'd still, you know, Murray will be defending his title. He'll be tough to beat. Um, you know, if Rafa's just won the French, um, he'll fancy his chances. I'd be surprised if it comes out of those top four, Djokovic mm. included. Um, but uh, you know, if I had to pick one, I, I, I think I'd go Federer right now. And on the women? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's pick that again. Man. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you know, why not Joe Conta? Yeah. Um, you know, we've seen what Andy's done on the on the men's side in in, in terms of a British player winning. Uh, I think her playing at home, she she's got the mental fortitude to, you know, deal with all the, you know, the pressure and expectation off the court. I think grass is a is a good surface for her. Mm. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm prepared to, to back her. <laughs> so that was Mr. Tim Henman with Charlie Eccleshare. Thanks to Charlie for that interview and to Tim for his ever-interesting thoughts. And sorry, Tim, if you did listen to last week's podcast and got a bit annoyed with my, golf, my golf-based... Uh, <laughs> my golf face slandering of your name but I really did mean it in the warmest possible way and he does love his golf Tim doesn't he so that is it for our preview tennis podcast here from Roland Garros and from the not so sunny Algarve I will be back with David and sometimes without David as much as possible I can't promise daily I'm going to do my very best but don't worry you will be getting plenty of coverage from the tennis podcast including interviews that I do as part of Eurosports coverage as well so please do keep checking your apps whatever you use to download the tennis podcast keep checking because there will be plenty of new ones over the course of the next two weeks and i think they're going to be great eurosport of course will be covering the tournament uh, in the uk all over europe in fact but i'm working for british eurosport so do check out their coverage first ball to last ball every single day plus plenty of interviews views analysis everything you could possibly want miles mcclagan has got his hands on some kind of touch screen he's going to be doing touch screen analysis which terrifies me but miles is all over it the telegraph of course will be bringing you coverage of the tournament without the throughout the fortnight simon briggs is out here and i'll be getting him on the pod as well so i think it's fair to say that over the next two weeks you will be getting your fill of tennis via the tennis podcast via eurosport and planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with quince go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365 day returns ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, at the Telegraph. We'll be back soon. 